630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Another major sporting event off the schedule for 2020. Wimbledon was canceled on Wednesday because of the coronavirus pandemic, the first time since World War II that the oldest Grand Slam tennis tournament won't be played. Britain imposed a nationwide lockdown just over a week ago, and the All England Club announced after a two-day emergency meeting that the event is being scrapped for 2020. That had not happened since 1945. Wimbledon was scheduled to be played from June 29th through July 12th. Also Wednesday, the ATP and WTA announced that the men's and women's Pro tours would be suspended until at least July 13th, bringing the number of elite tennis tournaments affected by the coronavirus to more than 30. I'm Josh Roundtree. All right, and more on that coming up between 6.30 and 7 tonight. Grant Canton is the former head groundskeeper at the All England Lawn and Tennis Club. He is from Stony Plain. He's back in Alberta. He's an incredible story, even without... The, uh, the news of Wimbledon being cancelled and, and we have had him on the show before from Stony Plain to one of the most prestigious jobs in the world of sports so he's going to give us some perspective on this he did step away from Wimbledon in 2018 that is coming up between 6.30 and 7 tonight in a couple of minutes we will welcome Edmonton Oilers forward Josh Archibald to the show also tonight in about an hour we'll be joined by former Edmonton Oiler and player with many teams in the National Hockey League, Jason Chimera, is going to check in tonight. I always encourage you to interact with me if you feel the urge to do so. 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text. You can also email inside sports at 630ched.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. Kellen Kennedy is our studio operator this evening. Kellen, first of all, good to see you. Good to see you too, Reed. We are a comfortable distance away here through a window. The other night... I guess it will probably would have been Monday because it wasn't yesterday and today is Wednesday. So it would have been Monday. Mm. We s- somehow started talking about VHS tapes and VHS machines. Yeah, it's because it, I ordered a VCR. That's and, why. But first of all, I should ask, I should follow up with that. Has that arrived? It has not arrived. It's due to arrive early next week. The suspense is almost too much for me. I will post Notice on social almost. media when it shows up. Oh, please do. I will. Mo- oh, can you most bring definitely. it to work? Maybe we can profile the machine, do a little video, <laughs> do, an in- do an interview with the machine. What type of what type of machine did you get? It's an LG. Uh, it's a newer model. I don't have the exact model number or anything like that. So anyway, you're going to do some dubbing for family members. So That's good for right, you. Yeah. You're a nice guy. So you got a VHS machine. So in the process of us discussing this on Monday, I mentioned that I I have. I don't, I'm not even sure if it works anymore. It's probably at least 15 years old. Well, I got it in Lloyd Minster, so probably around 15 years old. I have one of those DVD-VHS combos that were the bee's knees for a while, mm-hmm. about 15 years ago. Uh, so, I, so, I, so I received an email <laughs> from a, a listener who basically, I won't, I won't I, did, I didn't bring the email, but I can paraphrase it, who basically said, hey, Reed, I heard you have this DVD-VHS combo. If it's for sale, I'd be happy to purchase it if you could name a price. Now, that's that was a bit of an unexpected email to receive from a listener. No kidding. We get story ideas. Uh, we get complaints. Sometimes we get a compliment. Uh, we got someone who wanted to buy some of my property. That has never happened before. Awesome. In, in my tenure as, uh, well, really working in the media, not just being a, a talk show host. So to that individual, if you're listening tonight... Uh, see, I was going to just reply to this person's email, but I thought, well, maybe I need to see this generally, that I, I, I'm sorry, the DVD-VHS combo not for sale. And if I were going to sell my property, I don't know if it would be appropriate to try to do it while I'm, you know, through through work. 
using using my vehicle as a uh, as a talk show. It is I inside pro- sports, sold stuff not on inside Kijiji. electronics. <laughs> you know, if I ever want to unload the DVD VHS combo, probably would do that on Kijiji or, or something similar. But I was Absolutely. very I was very flattered that that person was listening and that and that that piqued their interest. I mean, that, I got mine on amazing. eBay at a great price, so. All right, so uh, 7804960063 is how you can call or text, and the email for uh, sports-related content, and I suppose inquiries about my property, inside sports at 630ched.com. Dry settle with Ajo back. Jordan is Archibald. Centering pass Archibald. Richard score! Josh Archibald wins the game for in overtime. One of the signature highlights from the Edmonton Oilers season, February 16th, Josh Archibald in overtime against the Carolina Hurricanes, and we're pleased to catch up with Josh now. Hey, Josh, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, and yourself? I'm doing all right. Appreciate you checking in tonight, and let's dive right into the highlight that I just played. One of Jack Michael's best calls of the season, and you scored a huge goal against the Carolina Hurricanes to win that game in overtime. Uh, I mean, just tell me about hearing that call. I don't, I don't know how long after the game, maybe somebody played that for you. Uh, but what's it like to hear one of your big goals being described like that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty cool moment. Uh, you know, it's my first overtime goal, so you know to be able to hear a call like that and have that excitement, it's definitely uh, it's a pretty cool experience. Well, see, and it's going to be interesting for you guys. Jack's around the team. He's interviewing you guys. You see him all the time, but you never actually get to hear him work. So, so you actually get to hear a little bit of what he actually does while you guys are doing your jobs. Yeah, no, it's definitely a behind-the-scenes look, and uh, we, we like hearing all that. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, especially better when it's a winning goal for sure. Josh, uh, just let everybody know, know how you and your family are, are doing and, and where you're spending uh, this difficult time here. Yeah, you know it's uh, crazy times, but we're uh, we're laying low out at uh, my wife's family's uh, ranch in Nebraska. So uh, there's nothing around for miles. Uh, we've got all the food we can eat, and um, you know we're just uh, we're just trying to take it easy out here right now. And hopefully, uh, you know this this uh, can calm down here a little bit, and we can start getting things figured out and going forward. You know, it's a it's a crazy, terrible time, and the uncertainty I think just scares a lot of us. So. Well, take me back through what was going through your mind through that whole process. I mean, first we start getting cases in Canada, and then we had that brief time where uh, where we as reporters weren't allowed into the dressing room. We, we were doing sort of uh, media conference-style interviews with the players, and then you're playing Winnipeg, and the NBA shuts down, and then the next morning the, the NHL goes on pause. You know, as, as a player and as a husband and a dad, what was kind of going through your mind through all that? Uh, you know, I think everything was handled in a pretty well, um, pretty good way, you know, from top to bottom, the way the NHL handled it. But, uh, um, you know, it was just, it was crazy. You know, you see all this stuff on TV and you hear about everything and then, you know, it starts coming around and comes over to North America and the States and then Canada. So I think, uh, I think, think how well and how uh, quickly they shut everything down was um, the smartest and best thing that we could do to, you know, try to slow this spread. Um, especially as a dad, you know, you never want to see your kids or anybody else in your family get sick. So I think just being able to stay at home and, you know, be quarantined, you know, how we are, I think everybody needs to do it. Because, I mean, it's 
it's uh, it's it's a life and death thing right now, and it's scary and unpredictable. So I think it's just everybody's got to stick together and you know lay low. The the uh, the process of getting back to Nebraska was that relatively uh, smooth for you guys? Did you decide to go right away, or or how did that uh, that trip go? Yeah, you know, actually went really smoothly. Uh, my wife was a trooper. She cooked and packed um, all the kids up. Like she cooked meals for lunch breakfast dinner so the only thing that we had to do was uh stop for gas and pay at the pump and you know i i wore gloves for that so there's no contact with everything so you know we had to stop a few times at the side of the road and out in, you know a parking lot or something to let the kids run around for a bit but we made the it was about 21 hours we made the drive we drove straight through so it was uh it was quite the trek but you know it was kind of done it without my wife she she was a trooper that's for sure so uh, good, to, good to hear. So, so you're in Nebraska. Some of the some of your teammates have been doing some interviews like this this week. Josh, uh, Dave Tippett has done. Uh, he was on Oilers now with Bob. He did a conference call yesterday. And w- one of the questions, one of the topics that come up has been the the ho- total transformation of the penalty kill from second worst in the NHL last year to second best in the NHL this year, and, and really in the top five all throughout the season you were a key part of that i know you missed a little bit of time with injury but have you kind of reflected at all on on the success of the pk unit and can you give us any more perspective into why it's been so strong um you know i think you know they brought a few guys in you know myself being one that that was uh something that they really wanted to focus on i mean you look back at the power play and how many guys we have and how successful it's been i mean um, even this year, I mean, it's it's crazy. So, I mean, just to take pride in another aspect and, you know, the penalty kill being that. And, I mean, for us, I think we bought in as a group early on, and I think that was key. I mean, you, you want to have to go out and kill the penalty and not, you know, just go out and go through the motions. And I think that's uh, – we took a lot of pride in that. And, you know, the coaches gave us the structure, and, you know, they gave us a little bit of freedom too. So I think that helped. And, you know, everybody just bought in and sacrificed and did everything we could. Another big story this season was how Leon Dreisaitl played. And obviously, he'd, he'd been good in previous years in the NHL, but he, he was even hitting a new level for himself this year, leading the league in scoring by double digits, doing a lot of things for you guys, playing a ton of minutes. You know, Obviously, a, a lot of the storyline for the Oilers, uh, when we've talked about an individual star player in the last few years, has been about Connor McDavid, and rightfully so. But man, Leon, he just seemed to take another step forward for this year. I'm just wondering your perspective of you know having him as a teammate and why you think he's been able to do so well i'll tell you what i definitely like having him as a teammate better than playing against him uh you know i always hated coming in and playing against those two guys you know and even leon he's so strong on the puck and um you know he just makes he's so hard to play against and i think that's uh that's why he's been so successful i think he just took it upon himself this year though you know to take that extra step and um you know, he was more of a, I mean, from what I've understood and heard, he's more of a leader than he has been in, in the past. And I think that, that's helped him too. But, um, yeah, he's a, he's a tremendous player and a great person off the ice. Um, you know, like I said, I definitely like playing with him better than having to play against him, that's for sure. Fair enough. Josh Archibald joining us tonight on Inside Sports Forward for your Edmonton Oilers. Josh, I, I often ask athletes about the mental side of the game and what, everybody's going through now is is a totally new thing to have to deal with you we really don't know what's going to happen with the season it could start up again maybe we're not going to see hockey again until the fall we just don't know how are you dealing with that uncertainty side of it 
Yeah, I think that's hard. I think it's uh, harder mentally than anything. You know, um, it uh, it feels like almost the end of season right now, where you're coming back home for those first couple weeks. But uh, you know, just just trying to stay with it. Uh, you know, stick handling in the driveway, messing around with the kids. Um, you know, just staying up on workouts and biking, and you know, doing running and stuff. I think that's a big thing. But uh, like you know, like you said, there's no no certainty of what's going on. I think we just got to stay on our toes and hope for the best hopefully everything uh flattens out here and we can get back at it sooner than later do you stay in touch with with a lot of teammates do you try to uh you know keep updated on everybody and and, and keep uh, keep close yeah there's a big group chat going the guys chime in every once in a while and yeah i've just talked to quite a few guys and um you know it's good we got to stay in touch especially you know coming back uh Hopefully we come back and finish this season and, you know, make a run. But I think it's important for us to stick together during these times too. And Josh, uh, you know, on another note, uh, you grew up in Minnesota. You played for the Penguins. You played for the Coyotes. You mentioned uh, you're, you're with your wife's family in Nebraska now. You've, you've, you got to be an Edmontonian for almost an entire hockey season. Uh, what, what did you learn or come to appreciate about the city of Edmonton that maybe you didn't expect uh, before you lived here? Yeah, I, honestly, I didn't know what to expect coming up there. Um, I had visited once. I played in a hockey tournament uh, when I lived in Saskatchewan and Edmonton growing up. But, um, you know, for a, such a big city, it definitely is a, a smaller uh, city feel. You know, everybody's so welcoming. Um, you know, the fans are great. The communities are great. Um, you know, so, you know, just out of all the cities I've been to, it's definitely, you know, a bigger city with that small town feel. And I think that's really nice. I mean, helped us settle in and my wife's from a small town too so um you know it's it's made transitioning easier for her and for the kids so it's it's been a great transition and a great city for us so far right on well josh we look forward to seeing you back here whenever we do get back to hockey thanks so much for fitness in today i know you're spending time with your family and you're welcome on inside sports anytime thank you so much i appreciate it thanks for having me that is Edmonton Oilers forward Josh Archibald checking in tonight. Didn't get a point until December 1st when the season was placed on pause. He had 12 goals, 21 assists in 62 games played. Also, Alex Chason held a conference call today. You'll hear some snippets from that as we move along tonight. Chason had 24 points in 65 games over the course of the Oilers season. It is 6:21. Don't forget between 6:30 and 7 tonight. Grat Canton from Stony Plain used to be the head groundskeeper at Wimbledon. He will tell you what he thinks of the tennis event being canceled for the first time since 1945. Back after the break. This is a good track, Kellen. First time I heard it was on this show. Lydia by Highly Suspect. Now, this is one of those songs that has a couple naughty words later on in the song, but we don't play it long enough to get to that. Great rep. Is it, is it Hermit that has been regularly texting suggestions for songs coming back from commercial? The Hermit. The Hermit. The so Hermit. That's his handle on the text line. Well, it could be his actual name. Like The Reed Wilkins. Well, no, like that could be Hermit's actual name. Maybe, ah, it's, okay. maybe he's a fi- his legal name is The Hermit. Anyway, uh, 780-496-0063. If you would like to hear a song coming back from commercial, we'll try to play it because why not? So we want to make you happy. 
That's our number one goal here on Inside Sports. <laughs> Don't forget uh, Bob Stoffer, Oilers now every day from noon to 2 here on 6.30. Chet, his scheduled guests tomorrow, Louis DeBrusque and Brian Burke, both of those gentlemen always entertaining. The uh, COVID-19 numbers today, I know you've been hearing this in the news. I just, I just do want to update them. Uh, 117 new cases today, a lot more tests being done in the last couple of days, so that's why they found a lot of cases. 871 total positives in Alberta. Uh, there are 600, pardon me, there are 718 current cases because I subtracted the uh, people who have unfortunately passed away and also those who have recovered. So 718 current cases in Alberta up from uh, 625 yesterday. Alex Chason spoke to the assembled media today on a conference call and was asked about how this pause in action is affecting the Oilers' momentum. You look at, at the, the time we were at in the season, you know, a lot of teams are dealing with injuries. Uh, uh, there's, you know, some teams that are fighting for playoff spots. Some teams are trying to solidify their team, make, uh, make sure they're feeling good about themselves. It, it's hard. It feels like everyone's going to start uh, whatever schedule, whatever decision the league makes. You know, everyone's kind of starting at the same point. So that's going to be on us. We're, we're a professional athlete. Uh, got to make sure you're prepared. And it's not easy, but it is what it is. And you got to deal with the situation as best as you can. And uh, I hope, at, at least for, for my point of view, I, I hope uh, I hope our, our team gets a chance to, to, to go and play. Um, I think we've, we've, uh, we've earned that as a team. Uh, um, we've played some good hockey and... Hopefully when this is all over, uh, you know, sports in general, uh, maybe good for for the community, for the fans uh, in North America or really around the world. A little bit there from Alex Chason of your Edmonton Oilers. We're back after the 6.30 news with Grant Canton, former head groundskeeper at Wimbledon. All right, welcome back to Inside Sports on Eskimos and Oilers Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate that you are tuning in tonight. Wimbledon canceled. It was supposed to be June 29th to July 12th. It's off the calendar. Canceled for the first time since 1945. The first time since 1877 that we will not have a Wimbledon in a time of peace and I'm pleased to welcome back to the show a man who was a groundskeeper at Wimbledon for uh, I want to say 17 years Grant Canton is on the show was it 17 years you were there Grant I read yes that's correct 17 years and uh, and you stepped away in 2018 uh, so you had a pretty long tenure there we we met a few years ago uh, and, and we've been in touch off and on since then, so I'm glad to have you on the show again. And, and I want to get into your, your story because it, it is very unique, but let's start with the news of the day, Grant. And I, I said this earlier in the show, what struck me about this was that they came out and said cancelled. They didn't say postponed like the Masters and the Kentucky Derby and the Boston Marathon have. They said, you know, we already know we need to cancel it. From your perspective, why was that the decision here? Well, you know, uh, tennis, unlike other sports, is very, very complicated with travel. Uh, it's played all over the world, uh, many, many different events in dozens of countries. So it's not like the NHL or the NBA. But uh, as soon as Indian Wells canceled their tournament, I, I, I knew straight away that if this was still going on, Wimbledon would cancel theirs. Uh, the main thing is, when would you play it? You know, there was a lot of talk of we could play it in the fall, 
but the U.S. Open uh, ends on September 12th, and the French Open has moved their tournament to September 25th. So realistically, you either have to start playing in mid-August or uh, October, which is more likely the scenario. Um, the problem is the days are just getting too short, and uh, with such a huge event, you wouldn't be able to squeeze in your matches. You would have to probably finish play by 6 o'clock every evening instead of 10 o'clock. Um, then there's the other important piece of the renovations. You know, you'd have to get the grass fixed for the following year. So uh, logistically, it was an absolute nightmare. So I'm not surprised by this call, and I agree it's the right call. Yeah, well, so you mentioned, obviously, the daylight, which we know all about here in this part of the world, the, the discrepancy we have from, from winter to summer. And, I, I mean, from your from your perspective as as being a groundskeeper there, and, and look, Grant, I realize this, if I'm off base here, this might sound like a totally stupid question, but you're the uh-huh. expert. Is that, like, is when Wimbledon's usually, you know, late June into July, is that the the golden time to have the, the, graph, the grass in peak condition? It is, you know, and uh, historically, Wimbledon was always two weeks after the French Open, which is on a completely different so, uh, surface, which is clay. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, they, they, they made the three-week gap. But Wimbledon is definitely a summertime event. It has to be. You know, you can play till almost 10 o'clock at night. Yes, they have two stadiums with two roofs in there now. But, uh, you know, you're looking at over 600 matches to play. So I said in an earlier interview, do you cancel the juniors event? Do you cancel the wheelchair event? Do you make the men's uh, tennis best of three sets and best of five? Um, it's not a Wimbledon thing to do, to not include everybody. And as soon as Wimbledon also said that, they would not play behind closed doors. It's a spectator event. Then I definitely knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh, Wimbledon is either all or nothing. It is a huge spectator event. That's what makes them such a a great global uh, sporting event. So to do it kind of half-ass wouldn't uh, wouldn't wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with for a lot of these events, Grant, that leagues and, and events are saying, well, okay, we've considered playing without fans. That just would seem so weird to go to an NHL game, NBA game without fans, I think for the players and even the people watching on TV, even if people watched on TV, it would just seem so different without fans. Like I can't imagine Federer and Djokovic or Nadal or whoever walking out to center court and there's like 20 people there, just the officials. I mean, how would they, I don't even know if they would know how to play under those circumstances. Well, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it'd be kind of like Connor McDavid lived in the Stanley Cup this spring, and uh, nobody there to see it. So, uh, uh, but uh, you know, I think in the day, even even small things like the ball kids, you know, summertime is their time off school. If they did have this in October, well, all those kids would be back in school. And Wimbledon always had ball kids between 13 and 14 years old. That's a historic thing they do. Where would you come up with, you know, 400 kids for that? So, it's uh, it's it's kind of a shock to the system and. I honestly don't know what's going to pan out there for the next few months. You know, the guys I know are still having to cut the grass. Grass never knows what day it is. It still keeps growing. So there's a skeleton crew in there keeping the courts prepared. Uh, I mean, once the once this is over with, the members, if, if it's still there's still time in the year, the members will play on the grass courts. And uh, but it's it's nobody's expected this. It's this is the first, right? Can you just maybe give us your emotional reaction? I mean, like 17 years. This was a big part of your, and, and you have the type of job. It's not a nine to five job. I mean, that was a lot of your life re- revolved around. Or, it was twenty four hours a day. It yeah. really was. You know, you think about laying in bed, and uh, you know, I still stay in contact with a lot of people over there. I follow the UK news religiously, and boy, they're still going through a tough time right now. I just read today, you know, another five hundred and sixty three dead in one day. You know, so they're really getting getting it bad over there. 
And uh, but the main thing is this whole this whole sporting world is you know what's the number one thing is let's make sure everybody's safe. You know, sport is definitely can come second. It's a shame this has never happened. Nobody's used to it, but ultimately everybody needs to be safe. And uh, if everybody's in this together, we can get over it quicker and get back to normal. Grant Canton joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former head groundskeeper at the All England Lawn and Tennis Club. Of course, we generally call it Wimbledon here on this side of the pond. Grant, let's uh, let's let's go back a little bit because I you know I mentioned to a, and, I, and I know you know you've been on before and there's been articles written about you, but there's still a lot of people that that don't know your story because uh, I mentioned to a couple of people, oh, Grant Canton is, is is coming on. You know, he used to be the head groundskeeper in Wimbledon, and I and I got these looks like, how do you possibly know this guy? And I was like, well, he's <laughs> from Stony Plain. How could I not know? So <laughs> let's start. Let take us back to the beginning of this journey. How do you even, how do you even take step number one on the path to being a, a groundskeeper? Well, you're right. It is a, it's a kind of a crazy story how it all happened. Uh, basically, back in 2000, when I graduated from Old College, I went there and uh, got my fine my fine turf degree uh, in, in uh, turf management. And after that, a couple of my friends we decided we were going to move uh, go to Australia for a year, have some fun, and uh, you know we had enough money for kind of nine months. But after two months, we were broke, so we had to get jobs. So we actually got jobs at a, a golf course in Sydney called The Lakes, and it's probably one of the top five courses in Australia. They've had PGA events there before, and uh, it was a great place to work. And uh, But it was there. I'd met a couple of British guys that had worked at Wimbledon, and they said, you know, you should go check it out. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm just kind of backpacking. I was going to go to New Zealand, work on a golf course there. But Wimbledon kind of... I knew what it was. I, I wasn't a tennis fan, but everybody knows what Wimbledon is, and I figured, you know, I could go work in London for a year then travel a bit of Europe, and uh, so I decided I'd go do that route. I applied to the job. I got on uh, the, the 2002 summer crew, and after that year, they liked me, and the next year, they offered me a full-time position, and uh, I just kept working hard and, you know, always loved the place, and in 2011, they made me deputy head groundsman, and in seven, 16 or 17, they made me head groundsman. So it was, a, it was a long journey, but for a guy that was only going there for one season and ended up staying 17, it was uh, it's been quite the journey. So, so we haven't talked since, since you moved on. Just tell us a little bit about, uh, about that decision. Yeah, you know, after my dad passed away in 2017, it was kind of an eye-opener. I, uh, I kind of woke up one morning and said, geez, uh, you know, I kind of better come home now or I never will. And, as, you know, as it was a one of the hardest decisions in my life, but uh, I'm really glad I did move home. I'm a country boy. I love it out here. I'm on the acreage right now. There's lots of space. I'm actually looking at a couple deer in the backyard right now. So this kind of lifestyle from, you know, being in the big city of London, it's definitely a different uh, lap on the racetrack, but uh, it was something I was always going to do. It was just a matter of when. And uh, yeah, like I said, I woke up one morning and I decided, you know, this is going to be the time. And uh, I did the 2018 tournament and uh, left in uh, January of 2019. Yeah. I want to go back here. You mentioned in 02 you joined the summer crew. So, I I mean, that a a job like that to me, I I hear grunt work as the subtext to what you're saying. Can you tell us what you do on the the summer crew? Well, when I say summer crew, I meant part of the grounds crew. So uh, Right, but you know what I mean. Like, it seems like... The new guy was always going to get the the harder job, (laughs) but... uh, (laughs) Hey, any job at Wimbledon, I, I took it with uh, full passion. I, you know, I love the place. And one thing working there, they, they are, what sets them apart is 
the perfection at Wimbledon. Everything is perfect. And uh, it really got into me, you know, even a few years, uh, my, my first few years there. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of hard work. And, uh, you know, you got to love your job. To you got to enjoy getting up in the morning and going to it. So uh, it kind of made it a lot easier that way. So how many total people would be on the grounds crew there? So normally uh, in the wintertime, there was uh, usually about 14 of us full-time. And then in the summertime, we would take on another uh, 12 to 15 people from April to September just because there's a lot more work in the court preparation and uh, during the tournament there's a lot more work you know we cut and paint the courts every single day and there's a lot of work to do on them afterwards after the players are done got to you know water them and cover them up so uh, it's a lot of work so I had a crew of about 33 guys in the, in the summer what is the I'm going to get really technical with you here what is the length of the grass that a match is played on at Wimbledon so the Wimbledon grass uh, in, in, uh, for playing season is always 8 millimeters. What we'd do in the winter after renovation is we'd leave it at 13 millimeters just to leave it a bit longer. It just kind of gives you a bit more protection from, you know, frost, and uh, they would get the occasional snow there. Some tennis clubs didn't do that. You know, they kept it at 8 millimeters all season. You know, I'm not saying because we did it, it's the right or wrong way. It, it worked for us. So, uh, But 8 millimeters on the nose was the playing height. The mowers we used there were probably fifteen thousand dollars each so they could uh, you could shave with these mowers so they are they were the best each sorry each mower was fifteen thousand dollars yep and they're the walk behind ones they're not even some you sit on so they're the but they're the ones that give you those really nice stripes on the Wimbledon court people always ask me how do you get those beautiful stripes on the court and it's all because there's a heavy roller on the back of the mower and that lays the grass down in that direction and that gives you that visual uh look of of the, of the shades so they're an expensive machine, but they, uh, like I said, they're such a fine surface. And, and, how, really. and how many courts are there there that are used during the tournament? There is 38 at the moment. We did have 41, but when uh, the new number one stadium got its roof and some new uh, facilities, we decided to get rid of three courts to make a food piazza and a bit more space. But at the current uh, time, they have 38 courts. But, uh, but last year they did uh, get the rights back to the golf course across the road. So the plan is, you know, eventually in the next few years, probably build another 30 to 40 courts over there so they can have the qualifying on site and a lot more practice uh, practice facilities. Okay, so are all those courts, they can't all be used throughout the fortnight because you're paring down the number of players in every event. Well, 18 of them are championship courts. Okay. And 21 of them are practice courts. Oh, I got you. Okay. So the players, those practice courts are always being used all day, every day, and they just get absolutely hammered. So ideally, you know, another 20 courts, you could ease that down. So the, the uh, when a player goes onto a practice court, they want the conditions to be exactly the same as going on to center court, court number one, whatever. So uh, that was the tricky part is making sure all the courts were exactly the same. Oh, geez, I guess, I, I guess it would be. Okay, so so for the, uh, you guys must have to do a lot of work then late at night or even over overnight on the grounds crew? Yeah, basically what happens after a day's play on the courts is the baselines will get swept, and uh, we've got these kind of big vacuums that'll pick up all the, the fluffy dead grass. Uh, once that's done, we will read the moisture readings from every court. We have a, a, a company that comes around and does all the, the hardness readings on the courts every morning, and in the afternoon we'll get those readings to say this court's getting a little bit harder than the others, so we decided on maybe giving an extra sweep of water. So basically, at the end of the day, we want to make sure all the courts are the exact same hardness. 
But the, the tricky part there was some courts were stadiums, some were out the open, some had shade, some were 80 years old, some were 10 years old. So they all had different characteristics. So they all were playing differently. Our job was to make sure they were all the same, and that, that's where it becomes tricky. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're you're trying to put down a puzzle, but the pieces change every day. <laughs> exactly, but the good thing about doing it year after year is you get to know the courts really well. You know which courts are going to firm up quicker. You know which ones are going to suffer from the shade. So uh, you kind of know what the numbers are going to be before even before you get them. So that's that's half the battle. Like any any golf course superintendent will tell you, you know, knowing your greens and your fairways are half the battle. So when when so the tournament is in the summer, and then so does it. So say, so this year it would have been what are the, the dates again? Say it was, so it would have ended July twelfth. What would have, yep. been, assuming everything was was normal and we were playing, assuming Wimbledon ended July twelfth, what would have happened on July thirteenth? Did the members go right back out and play, or do you got to put a whole bunch of stuff back together? No, the thirteenth is a day is close to the members. Uh, we would come in though, and uh, the, the, usually the champion uh, would be in doing interviews. And once in a while, they'll do a team photo with the, the staff, which is a nice thing to do. Um, but, the, but honestly, the next Tuesday, the members are back playing, but the big strip-out is happening. It takes a good month, you know, five, six weeks to strip everything out of there. All the marquees, all the tents, all the scoreboards, all the things that are put in place uh, for Wimbledon, that all has to get stripped out. So that, like I said, takes a, a quite a long time, and the members will play tennis around that. And in between that, we're doing renovations on the courts plus the normal construction going around the ground. So there's never really a quiet period there. What, what about over the winter, though? During the winter, the grass courts are closed, but we still have the uh, indoor courts available. And uh, like I said, the construction that's been going on there for the last 20 years, it is a, just a huge building site because every year they're redoing something, whether it's putting a new roof on, building a new stadium, building a new facility, a new restaurant. All that happens outside the championships, and it has to be done in the springtime ready for uh, the build-up for the next year's championship. So it's uh, it's always, there's always something going on there. And that was the other reason they couldn't really delay it, is if they did move it back to September, October, all that construction that was planned then, you'd have to put on hold, and then they wouldn't have their timelines to get their jobs done for the following year. So like I said, logistically, it just would be a nightmare. So they've done the right thing and just said, you know what, let's just cancel it and cut our losses, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go on next year. So when you had the job as the head guy, when would you get time off? Would you like? Would you get? Because I, I think when we met before, what was it? It might have been early January. Is that when you might get a break or get to come back to Canada? Yeah, winter is easier to get time off. But if uh, you know, once in a while, I would get a you know a couple weeks off in September, as long as there wasn't too many guys off at the same time, uh, we we could make it work. Um, because the thing is, we we weren't really allowed time off from kind of May until July. So uh, the, good, the good summer months are gone. You can't go on holidays then. So you've got that build up of all these guys want to take their holidays. So we've had times where there's been nine, ten people off at the same time, and that makes the job a lot tougher as well. Who replaced you as head groundskeeper, and is it someone that you worked with? Haven't been replaced yet. Oh, they haven't. You're irreplaceable, no. Grant. You can literally say that. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Oh, it's so a tough position. There's not many guys out there that are, uh, you know, grass tennis guys. I mean, it's similar to golf. There's also a lot of differences, but uh, you know, we're taking our time, get, get the get the right person in. Um, but but I, I I stay in contact with those guys, so it's uh, but they're they're doing fine. You know, it's uh, they had a great year this year and uh, it's a very successful tournament. So good on them. 
Grant Canton joining us, native of Stony Plain. He's uh, back in Alberta now after 17 years working on it as a groundskeeper at Wimbledon, including a couple of years as the head guy. Uh, you, you gave a great quote earlier that uh, the acreage near Stony Plain is uh, different. I think you said a different pace around the the uh, around the racetrack than it was yeah. in London. But I mean, what must have been an incredible experience to 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 live in London? Can you give us some highs and lows of, of living in a city like that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one thing is I'm a, I'm a huge music fan, and London would get every single band, no matter how big or small they were. That, that I really enjoyed. Getting around was easy. You just jump on the tube or a bus, and you can get around quite easily. So if you're having a night out, you can get home quite easily. Living out north of Stony Plain would be tougher. You'd have to get someone to drive you. But it's uh, it was weird, you know, living in my small little flat in London for, you know, 17 years was... It was weird, but I got used to it. So now I'm out on the acreage. There's so much space, and it's quiet, and, you know, there's not people and just, you know, everywhere around you. So it's uh, I, I certainly prefer it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a nice time in my life of, you know, living in the big city and uh, doing all that. So, But, but, but I prefer the uh, the acreage north of Stony Plains. Okay. How, how big was your flat in London? Oh, it was just a little two-bedroom uh, place. I don't even know the square footage, but uh, okay. I, called it my sh- I called it my shoebox. Right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, I know you're an Oilers fan. What what's it been like actually being able to watch the games, you know, at 7 p.m. when they normally start, oh, not you know overnight or whatever. Amazing, amazing. Even 10 years ago, before the uh, proper streaming was on, I'd get some crappy stream at 3 a.m. watching it, and it would freeze up, and it was. And that was when the Oilers were really bad. So. Uh, I was dedicated, but it's great now watching them normal time. I've got uh, a lot of really good friends that take me to games sometimes, so that's really nice of them. But, yeah, I've been an Oilers fan since I can remember as a baby, and, uh, yeah, it's exciting to see them doing well, and, uh, you know, it's too bad it's what happened and what's going on because I think the Oilers are going to be really Grant, it's awesome to catch up with you. Thanks for giving us your perspective on, on why Wimbledon was cancelled and, and, again, telling people the story of how you got there and what it was like working there. That's uh, really incredible for a kid from Stony Plain, and that's coming from a kid from Evansburg. So thanks for making time for me tonight. Hey, Reed, no problem. And uh, earlier when you were talking to Josh about uh, Jack's great call, if you got time later in the show, if you could play Jack's call of the, uh, the Talbot-Smith fight, I mean, that was a doozer. That was... Uh, one of the best calls I've ever heard in hockey. So if you got time to slip that in, that would be amazing. Oh, I think I know where it is in the file. We'll we'll take a break here and we'll get it on for you when we come back, Grant. Thank you so much. Right on, Reed. We'll talk to you soon. That is Grant Canton. Excellent interview with him. Uh, as he told you, 17 years working as a groundskeeper at Wimbledon. He told you about the journey and uh, why they had to call it off for this summer. Back after the break and we'll give you Grant's request of the Talbot-Smith fight. behind and now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. Manjapani and Jason. Giordano has Gagne wrapped up and Matthew Kachuk and Ethan Bear are going to drop the gloves. Bear belts him with the right hand. Kachuk counters with a straight right. Right hook Ethan Bear. Left jab Matthew Kachuk and now we're going to have a goalie fight. Bear throws the right hand. Here comes Cam Talbot and Mike Smith. They're going to go in center ice. Talbot short with the right hand. Smith Clubbing right hands, right hands have it. Big right-handed shot from Mike Smith. This is the battle of Alberta we've been waiting for for three decades. 
for Grant Canton. Former Oiler Jason Chimera when we get back. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.